0: Welcome to Ink and Pete, a podcast where memoir and Ireland share the stage. We talk with authors, guides, ghostwriters, and other free spirits drawn to memoir or enchanted by Ireland. I'm Barb Robotai.
1: And I'm Craig Stewart.
0: Dennis Quinn is our guest on this Ink and Pete episode. A falcha Ireland-approved local marine and countryside guide, Dennis is the founder of Wild Atlantic Cultural Tours. He holds an honors degree in heritage studies. That he received the award for academic excellence comes as no surprise. Dennis is a walking guidebook for natural and built heritage, folklore, flora and fauna, and archaeology. He is easygoing and class to be around, whether walking the wild Irish landscape, exploring ancient ruins, or raising a pint.
1: Do you remember the first time we met Dennis Quinn?
0: I do. was in Kalala. Yeah. Our first trip there. And we were visiting with Liz Keene in the old deanery cottages.
1: Yep. Up in the office. Up in
0: the office. With Una. And Una, Dennis's wife, was there. Yeah. And we laughed until we cried. We laughed until we cried.
1: Our sides hurt. They did. And that's when we knew we'd found the right place for memoir tours.
0: It it was the deciding moment. And it was very clear. Very clear. (laughs) We found our people. (laughs) (laughs) We'd been looking for a long time. It's been a long time.
1: Yeah, (laughs) We found them. Yeah, being with Dennis is so much fun. He'll take us out foraging, and we'll make a lovely meal out of mussels and cockles, and then he'll take us out uh, cliff walking. That's a great day. Oh, it's a lovely day. We get to see the Atlantic from high up. Very high. Yeah. Some people can elect to stay back from the edge.
0: Yes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Please.
1: Yeah. And then he'll take us to some ruins and hopefully on the Quinaw Trail loop.
0: Oh, that would be a great outing. Lovely. He doesn't know that yet. <laughs> Surprise. Surprise, Dennis. <laughs> you know, it's time to put the kettle on and have a listen to Dennis Quinn.
1: And Dennis, how are you?
2: Not too bad, great to see you.
1: Yeah, it's great to see you. This is a little bit of magic.
2: It is magic, yeah,
1: yeah. First of all, could you give our listeners a little background? You were not born in Mayo, but you definitely were born in Ireland. Where Where were you born?
2: I was uh, born a little while ago <laughs> in Dublin. But uh, during my early years, uh, my mother's family are from Clare. We were all kind of shipped down west every Easter and summer and any time we got weekends, long weekends on the farm. So that was my early childhood memories, which are still the best.
1: <laughs> that was Things have changed since then, haven't they?
2: Yeah, but not, um, I would say my grandfather, he had no machinery. You know, it was horses and all the equipment to go with it. Probably being used for hundreds of years, the same ploughs and rakes and all that. Yeah. So I got the last of that. I was in the 60s, you know up into 70, 72 or 74, I think he died, 74, 1974 he died. So I remember a tractors coming in from a neighbor to do the hay, and they were done with traditional haystacks or haycocks, depending uh, uh, what part of the country you're from. Trams of hay as well was another one. But now they're all square bales and wrapped in plastic and pretty rare to see a, a, a haystack.
1: Now, spending time on the farm, is that where you sort of fell in love with the natural world? Or, I mean, if you're born in Dublin and raised in Dublin, you wouldn't see a lot of that unless you were out in Clare.
2: Well, yeah. I suppose, yeah, because I couldn't wait. It was wilder down there than it was in Dublin where I grew up. But we had plenty of adventure places and rivers and streams. And I, I lived not far from the sea in Dublin, like a mile away from the sea. So we spent a lot of time on the shore. But also unclear. Like I suppose. See, I was on my own down there. I had no cousins my own age, except a girl, who <laughs> was the enemy kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We got on okay, but yeah. I, I had to use my imagination, and and, and nature was all around. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, and so, so you, uh, what what drew you to Mayo eventually?
2: I suppose a very reasoned like get back. You know, I'd lived abroad as well in Europe and different cities around Ireland as well and towns. And uh I suppose the nearer nearer to it was closer to nature and could uh, a long story short, I ended up in Mayo then, you know, when when my kids were born.
1: What would you say you've been around the world and I know you've done a lot of hiking and mountain climbing what would you say sets Mayo apart? I'm trying to paint a picture for our the people that are coming on the tour. What would mm. you say sets Mayo apart from other, I mean, Ireland is beautiful from north to south. What sets Mayo apart in your mind? Um,
2: maybe it's a combination of, of everything. You know, like it's people. People, I think. Uh, people are great. No matter where you go in the world, but there's something <laughs> here as <laughs> well. You're connected, you're connected in the like it's like the past is it's not really the past. Uh, some of the stories say, you know. Whether you believe them or not, it doesn't matter, you know.
1: <laughs> That's that is so true. Yeah.
2: yeah. But um that and the proximity I suppose to the Atlantic Ocean, you know, when you when you look out here, it's a vast distance and the beauty, as you were saying, but you can get that anywhere. But still, okay. it's, a, it's a bonus.
1: It's a bonus, absolutely. It's a bonus here.
2: And then the landscape is ancient. That's a really, especially around where, where we live here, you know. Yeah, like talk, back.
1: talk mm-hmm. a little bit about that. When you say the landscape is ancient, what what does that mean? What are we talking about yeah. in terms of century? You
2: can still see remains of buildings that were used in, you know, the Iron Age. Uh, there's Bronze Age, uh, sites around, and then you're going back. Not to, to, far from us here is the cage of Fields, which is a Neolithic landscape, really underneath the bog. So it's organised civilization from, I think it's five thousand seven hundred years ago. So that, yeah. that goes back. Yeah. <laughs> but then, in North Mayo where we are, you see a progression of human habitation. You know, right through the every every era in history. Irish history and European history, but, uh, yeah, that connection, you can still see it and, you know, you feel it in the landscape as well.
1: I would ask you that. Do you, you've lived there now for some time. Do you still feel it yourself when you go to say, uh, or, um, any of the ruins around, do you still feel it?
2: I do. Yeah, I really do. yeah. Yeah. Like, if I have people out with me, uh, I, I'm looking forward to going myself, even ah. though I was there yesterday.
1: <laughs> Where were you? Where'd you go?
2: Or yesterday I was uh Kilcommon. you just mentioned it, yeah, yeah, yeah. The the seventh century church and Little Wonders in the Graveyard there, um seventh century pieces. Uh the ancient sundial, for instance. Uh, I was in Ratfran <clears throat> Abbey, Priory. And uh, along the shore on the river there. And you still get a sense of the monks in there, you know. You go, you you, you ramble in around the building and you, you know, if you're on your own, I, you nearly hear them. <laughs> you
1: know? I believe it, yeah. I completely believe that. What about the land itself? It's, uh, you're primarily limestone, is that correct?
2: There's a lot, yeah, um, and uh, sandstone. <clears throat> then in the mountains, then you have... Is it nice? G-N-E-I-S-S. The geology, in fact, is very interesting. Out around belderic and all that.
1: Belderic,
2: You know, there's completely different types. Suddenly. Yeah. You know, the Earth's history. The oldest rocks in Europe. Out on the stags of Broadhaven there. And I think uh, the next time you meet them is in the Appalachian Mountains. Uh,
1: interesting. That's the,
2: that's the split. Took a little yeah. stroll
1: there. Yeah. Yeah. On our mantle we have two Dennis Quinn pieces of artwork that you created. Yeah. Oh, One yeah, is a yeah. gloriously beautiful little uh bog piece of bogwood that oh, yeah. you turned into a sculpture, and another is a basket. And I'd like to ask you about the bogwood, first of all. Yeah, yeah. Um tell us about Bog I know Mayo Mayo has lots of bog land. Yeah, yeah. Just vast bogland what what are bogs all about quite frankly mm-hmm. people coming on the tour it's unlikely that they'll even know what a bog really right. is mm-hmm. so if you could just pretend we know nothing
2: yeah. Yeah. i suppose cage of fields is a great example nearest where they have discovered the ancient stone walls field systems and enclosures and also they buried their dead in tombs but that now is co- covered in bog so Bog forms. Uh, rain is the main thing, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that forms a sphagnum moss, a moss type, and any vegetation. And what that rots down at a very slow rate, a millimetre a year, because thousands, a couple of thousand years ago, man started to cut down trees to make fields to uh, settle in. You know, from from the hunter gatherer. To settle to farm, obviously, but climate change as well happened, and uh, more rain, uh, temperature dropped, and then because there was more rain, there was no uh, soakage for the trees. There was no trees to soak up the rain on the highlands and all that, and the, the uplands. So therefore, they moved out, maybe moved along the coast in towards and the shore, and you know, less or more hospitable places, you know. So eventually, after thousands of years, uh, you you get accumulation. So as I was was saying, like a a millimetre a year. So for instance, out in the bogs here, whether if they're a metre deep or a yard, so it's one millimetre, that's a thousand years. So two metres would be 2,000 years. So when you find, when the archaeologists find our person digging for turf, find something, they know that they can date it back, plus carbon dating. But also the the bog preserves uh, items, bodies as well, as well as wood and timber. So the ancient forests, uh, uh which that piece of, uh, wood you have? Would have been probably either pine, oak, or, um, uh, yew tree, which mayo is, mayo in Gaelic is uh, the, the, the plane of the yew tree. Mayo, EO is uh, a yew tree. But, um, yeah, there's no oxygen in the bog. So therefore preserves our nitrogen. So it preserves, to a degree, over thousands of years. Like they used to, they used to have butter in the, in the Celtic times, they used to probably store butter. That butter has been discovered and has been used. Nothing wrong with it.
1: <laughs> uh, vintage <laughs> sacrifices butter.
2: Sacrifices to the gods or Mother Earth, you know. There's a lot of theories of why it was buried. Bog butter. So there's three famous things. You have bog butter, bog bodies, or bog Ooh. persons or people. And uh, and and the timber.
1: Now I know you've come across the uh, bog timber. We found that together. But have you uh, have you come across any bog butter or bog bodies?
2: No, never.
1: I <laughs> <laughs> would just probably keep it that way.
2: But uh, the bogs are very interesting uh, places to be as well. Like uh, the, the the plants and animals are exist on the bog, don't grow anywhere else, which is great. Kind of a miniature landscape when you you have to get really close down, get into it. tiny little carnivorous plants, beautiful flowers all all summer and autumn, and all the the sedge grasses it changes colour all the time. It could be yeah. purple for one or two months, and then it could be orange and rustic, you know, in November. And you were here in October, I think you saw the autumn colours.
1: Yes, gorgeous. A lot of our people really probably would like to know that the turf fires that we enjoy come from the bogs. Yes, the peat.
2: Yeah, they're cutting now at present, as we speak. This time mm-hmm. of the year, like April, May, June, harvesting.
1: It's wet though. For winter. Are you getting?
2: It hasn't been. No, oh, the last few days have been, but uh, up to this, it's been very good. So How what is- they do is there's traditional way of cutting it with a. With a with a spade called a slain, that's the traditional way, but um, with machinery nowadays, they, they can do it quicker.
1: Right, and so how does that so, impact um, the future of the bogs? Like, are they disappearing? Just,
2: yeah, there has been big wars, turf wars.
1: Turf <laughs> <Yeah>. wars. <laughs> uh,
2: <laughs> European yeah. laws and, and, and against tradition. But anyway, the traditional way is uh, you're allowed harvest for your house. So they've been doing that for hundreds of years. And as I said, the, it, the farmer or the families know if, if it grows a millimeter a year, you know, it's a, we're a long time waiting for but that. But they, they cut one area and then move on to the next. So that it gives the ch- chance for the ball to rejuvenate.
1: The plants. Yeah.
2: Big, huge the- commercial companies have been stopped, but uh, uh, um, I'm not sure if the state body has, has a big company that commercially are that's in the raised bogs in the center of Ireland. They're a different bog than the Atlantic bog. The Atlantic bog, as I explained, the other ones are older. uh, From the ice age, you know. That's where there was, uh, suppose, the ice retreating and uh, uh, lakes formed. And then it just slowly rotted. And and you've got these really deep bogs. They're in the center of Ireland, really.
1: Amazing. I don't know of any other place that, that has bogs. Like Ireland, is there? Do you know?
2: Scandinavia, I think, and Russia, I think. Okay. I think. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. And how about your basket weaving? How's that going?
2: Oh, the willow, yeah. 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 I like doing that in autumn, autumn time, yeah. Well, you can harvest your willow then, you know. So I haven't done anything since last autumn. Lack of material, you know. Well, I'll try again, October again. Right. Do a few more baskets for Christmas. The colors are beautiful. I found different colors. Willow,
1: you know. Oh, yeah. There's from purple to uh, tans. Yeah. Yeah, no, they are beautiful. Yeah. No, your basket's lovely. It's still still there anyway. Oh, yeah, yeah. We see your basket and we see the little uh, bogwood and uh, back with all of you guys. Part of me, when I go to Mayo, I see this unspoiled landscape that is incomparable. That I just, I've never witnessed anything like it. And we want to convey that to the people coming on the tour. And I think I've already asked you the question, what sets Mayo apart? And you said it was the people.
2: People's stories.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah. Do you have any yeah. Mayo stories that, that would entice someone to come to Mayo? That's putting you lot. on the spot. <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of stories, yeah. yeah. I, I enjoy them. I think a lot of people do. I, I suppose you call them stories, but it's just talking. Yeah. Know talking and uh, I suppose around this part of the country like we're in a small rural town so you're meeting people all the time so you're chatting you know and you mightn't have seen them in two weeks so there's always news then after news and the weather is discussed uh, you might get onto it some story or depending on the character you meet. long stories too as you know they can go on for quite a while
1: (laughs) yeah yeah
2: but it is, no no, 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 I think everybody has a, a thing to say, you know, and uh, I like somebody, I like finding out from the old people, like, you know, because they're passing it on from the other generations, you know, so they're, they're quite, I love them. Yeah. And the more yeah. you hear them, uh, they're more real, especially say superstitions, or fairies, or hookahs and all that, they're, they're all, you know, the legends. Right. Yeah, but they're same, I suppose, the world over, but uh, we have a good way of putting them here.
1: <laughs> I'm not sure it's same the world over. I think I think the West of Ireland has something on the rest of us. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. Close, uh, to see. We're close. Close.
1: Yeah, yeah. So talking with Helen last week, uh, she brought that up, you know, how the the fairies and and uh, yeah. what's your take on that? You, do you, <clears throat> excuse me, you have a little farm where you're living. And well, I live
2: kind of rural, yeah,
1: yeah. You're rural, right? And you grow, you have vegetables and... Yeah. Uh, what's your take on fairies? Do you see them around? Do you hear them? Do you hear stories of them? Would people, there people, people wouldn't live certain places because it was, they're close to fairies. Oh, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's still very okay. much true.
2: Yeah, there's, uh, there's a lot, um, that's uh, like the landscape again, like you can see it, like a lone tree in a field, is that, that's where the fairies are you don't disturb that farmers won't disturb it or some will but they eventually they pay for it <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know? Uh, uh, now there's a lot a lot of stories about what happens to a person that interferes with the fairies and their places there is a lot of stories uh, too many too many you know too many but uh, you hear it and you hear the consequences usually bad ending if they do interfere yeah uh, but um, no I respect you know I respect if you ask most people say do you believe in the fairies you know say yes or no but I I, I won't answer that
1: they might be listening there's something there <laughs> yeah there is too no I believe it I've felt it and uh, I completely believe it yeah
2: yeah there's yeah the, the world the ancestors and the other world and all that it's it's, it's and there's a lot of writings and myths you know the mythology there's a lot of that and Makes great reading as well.
1: Can you recommend a <laughs> book or two on uh, Irish mythology or I don't fairy? No, uh,
2: you know, I think um, I don't know one particular book. You, you can buy them uh, uh, compilations. I don't know which is the best. But uh, I like, you know, Children of the stories and uh, of the Danon and all these big battles way back, you know, robbing cows and for milk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But there's everything in them. Like, you know, these are big. Big, uh, epic stories, you know? and there's evidence, the landscape again of where this happened. You know, you know where these these stories came from. You know, and the names of places I forgot to mention to you. You know the names of areas here. They're like they're ancient names. You know, in the in the Irish language. You know when it's bilingual here, if the Gaelic. So, but the, the Irish uh, uh, name of of each town or townland. Uh, tells you about the place, usually. And it's usually descriptive of the landscape or of some legends or saints, folk saints from Bacteria to Christianity.
1: Could you talk a little bit about that? I know that there are uh, a lot of the holy wells. St. Patrick. Mm. Yeah, of course. Saint pa- oh, yeah, let's let's definitely talk about St. Patrick and Killala. Um, a lot of the holy wells have been holy for Millennia, and then along comes the Catholic Church. Mm, yeah. And uh, can I say this? Is this the yeah thing I need to talk about?
2: Yeah, Christianity. Yeah, Christianity. Yeah,
1: Christianity comes along and sort of takes the holy wells and calls them yeah their own. Is it? Would you say that's accurate? Accurate or? Um,
2: yeah, I suppose I like to put it in the way that um, the secular society here had a load of gods, you know, the, the sun gods and mother Earth and all these. So when Christianity came, they just, oh, here's another one. Who's <laughs> <You know? Yeah. laughs> this? So it never really took over. Like everybody thinks Ireland was Christianized. St. Patrick did it in a year, you know. But it took centuries and centuries and centuries. You know, It was only after the, uh, the Great Hunger in the 1840s. That's kind of the church. They turned to the church, Catholic church, say, and uh, the smaller Protestant church. They turned to religion. That hmm. I suppose after that devastation, uh,
0: uh,
2: they took on that. But prior to that, uh, uh, pagan beliefs, and still today. But you mentioned holy wells. There, there's an awful lot of them around. But they were, um, they were sacred places probably in pagan times. Usually, you find a holy well, then a progression. You know, is then a little church, and then afterwards maybe a monastery in the medieval times. You know, a big education centre or whatever, like, you know, the abbeys around here, you know, Rosserke and Mine and Eru and and uh, Fran. So, you can see the progression there, you know, of Christianity as well as uh, and then the European influence and Roman influence and the Norman influence. So all that is around here as well. You know, each place has its history as well. Like, you know, like Fran. You know, you go there now, there's a ruined abbey from the 13th century. Prior to that, then there was a, a church over the field. And then prior to that, then there was a holy well. And prior to that, then that holy well. And then there's ring forts, which are the rats, which we call the fairy rats.
1: Could you they talk about those a little bit? Just to... Oh, yeah
2: yeah, yeah. yeah. So the fairy rats, as everybody calls them here, whether R-A-T-H, yeah. You know is um, originally a a farmstead you know a cattle farmer back in we say the celtic times you know so it's iron age um so it consisted of a ring of mound of ring with kind of a fence and the house was inside and the cattle protect from wolves because ireland was full of wolves then, and also the currency at the time was cattle (laughs) so you had cattle raids so to protect your cattle, you had them in this ring, ring fort, but they are still existed on the landscape today, you know, but they're known as fairy forts. I suppose that protected them in a way. People protected where their ancestors were, you know, because of the, the fairies. But uh, uh, there's loads of, there's loads around here. And some of them are are double, bivalved, they call them. And um, I did a survey around the town, around a uh, uh, five-mile radius. so There's 78 of them,
1: you know. 78 in five-mile radius.
2: Yeah, yeah. They're all marked on the map, and you can see some from the fields or on people's land driving by. So then, like, there's one just down the road from me. It's a very high one, actually, big, and usually you'd notice them in the landscape because they have trees, like ancient trees, because no one cuts the trees down. So they. You get a ring of trees.
1: A ring is A circle of trees. <laughs>
2: circle of trees, yeah,
1: yeah. Nice.
2: And right. they're pretty to look at, you
1: know. Yeah. You'll bring us to some.
2: Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's a lovely ring for it and, and uh, the view from it is great because you can, then again, this is where you can stand up on it and look and you're saying, why did they build here? You can really get into, people lived in this spot, like just built this. And then I remember uh, on the side of one of these, then um, the cattle now have worn away the earth. And there's a shell mitten, which would have been uh, where they feasted on shells uh, from the seashore and threw it over their shoulder. So you can see a layer in the in the soil of their dump, a rubbish dump, really. There's a good few of those around because we're near the shore here, yeah.
1: Speaking of the uh, shells left over, one of the high points of our tour is always heading out with you to forage on Bartra Island. Lovely, are, you still, yeah. are you still running those, that bit of it?
2: Yes. I was there the other day. Yes. And, and tomorrow I think I'll go on. The tides are right. Yeah. We got a nice feed of, um, mussels um, and we cooked them out there. We did them out open air with I had wild garlic and we had to buy a lemon <laughs>
1: <laughs> Getting that's a okay. extravagant there, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: But we steamed them up in uh, cider, and it was lovely.
1: Oh, uh,
2: that's nice. and uh, today was nice and sunny, so we, we'll we'll have that again. And then we got uh, cockles, yeah, which are you know the little small cockles,
1: yeah, yep, and winkles, oh, and okay. a few other
2: little bits of veg.
1: Now we haven't gotten any. We haven't gotten any winkles with you, I don't think. But we've gotten the. Uh, mm. The cockles. And how's the cockle population holding up?
2: Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, they're lovely. Yeah. Yeah, that's a lot. They're yeah. not commercially done, so they're just there, you know. We're lucky, yeah, yeah. And, and then the waters are pure, so.
1: Yeah, the waters are so pure.
2: Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, it's lovely. We'll probably, I guess we'll wait till you have a couple of pints in you before we ask you the Tom, Dick, and Harry story.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to wait for that one. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I think I need a... Need a whiskey for that one? I think. Okay, we'll we'll make sure that happens. Dennis, thank you for talking with me. This is perfect. It's exactly what, uh, what our people need to hear. They need to hear you.
2: So we have to do this again, and I get the the story. <laughs> All, right.
1: <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. It's been great. Thanks a million. Yeah. 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 We'll, we'll stay in touch.
2: Great stuff. Thanks Bye. a million.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. Thanks for listening to Ink and Pete a production of Memoir Tours Ireland. You can learn more about Memoir Tours and find other podcasts on our website, memoirtours.com. And we'd love to know if you have ideas for shows or requests.
1: We'd love to hear from you. Contact Craig or Barb at
0: memoirtours.com. Until next time, may you find joy where you least expect it.